on behalf of the Stolzfus family, welcome. On behalf of everybody else, uh, our condolences to you, the Stolzfus family. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been my observation over the last day or two and maybe more that today is really a celebration of true life in Christ, more than it is about death. And we're grateful to God for providing a way for us to be considered holy and righteous before an almighty God through the death of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we are gathered here together to celebrate Wilmer's life here on earth, but much more than that, his life in Christ eternally in the presence of God Almighty and our life in Christ as his children. Will you stand with me for prayer? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we recognize you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, creator of the universe of mankind. And death and the grave bring a humility and a reverence that is... Um, unequal to any other. We recognize that death is the equalizer. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who bore our sin on the cross and is now interceding for us at your right hand. I pray that you'd be with the Stolzfus family and Lydia as they memorialize the life of Wilmer. And I pray that you would give them strength and grace for today and for the days to come. And may we bring uh, honor and glory to your name in this service here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There will be several congregational songs, after which Jason Miller, who is a grandson to Wilmer, will be sharing in a devotional. And then uh, Philip will again lead in a few songs. Uh, Philip is also a grandson. After that, uh, Nate Bang, who's a pastor at Weavertown, will uh, bring a message. May God bless us as we uh, lift up Jesus Christ here today. Philip? Greetings to each of you. The songs we have this morning are special requests of Grandpa. They have meant a lot to him in his lifetime. So this morning as we sing them, let us allow them to speak to us as they minister to him. The first song is When We Walk with the Lord, Trust and Obey.
The next song is I Love the Lord with all my heart. Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name. Solomon, in his wisdom, he scribed the words in the book Ecclesiastes, To everything there is a reason and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to weep and a time to laugh. And we've been doing some of, the, some of both the last several days, haven't we? A time to weep and a time to laugh. And something about death... Uh, tends to bring out the rawest of emotions in us. Something about, something about that, that is completely out of our control, and, and, and it tends to, to bring out those raw emotions. Deep sadness and laughter from, from both of those spectrums all the way to, to 
even laughing through our tears, and even feelings of anger sometimes tempt us because of unmet expectations. And it seems to make time as we know it stand still when there is death, when we are faced with death of a loved one. But in all reality, in all reality, when, when Wilmer Stolzius was born, there was a time when he was born and there was a time when he died. And there is, there's going to be, Lord willing, on his gravestone, a dash, a little dash between those dates. And in that little dash is packed a lifetime of, of actions, of things done, of, of expectations, maybe even some unmet. But, but that little dash between the dates, so small as it is, is packed with a lifetime. Such a short time, but it holds an eternity of potential. I want to turn to 1 Timothy 5 for a scripture reading for those of you that have your Bibles. 1 Timothy 5. That dash between the dates, I, I was thinking about that. And we must agree that that was several hundred people here today. That Wilmer Stolzfus, the life of Wilmer Stolzfus somehow impacted you positively today or else you wouldn't be here today. Somehow, somehow that that, that lifespan, that, that dash between the dates impacted you positively. And that's likely why you're here. I want to read in verse 24 through 25 of 1 Timothy 5. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. If we, if, we, if we remember, if we think back, and we have been, some of the memories of, of Dottie, of Grandpa, of Dad, we remember some of those things, uh, good works, if you will. And if I could describe my grandpa in one word, I would probably say faithful. He was just faithful. And Kentucky would have said he's just as faithful as pond water. Just, just as solid and just... You, you didn't have to wonder where he was at. Just faithful. And even though there were quirks and, and idiosyncrasies in my grandfather's life, like we all do, I'm sure, he, I'm convinced that, that there are many, many good works that will follow after his death, that he will not be forgotten, and, and he has made a mark, and he has made an impact in many, many lives in that dash between the dates for him. And... A legacy and example that, that they will not save those of us that he has positively impacted, but a life that was led by the grace of God that, that will lead us as close to the threshold of Christianity as he could. I, I feel like he, he led his life in such a way that, that his children and grandchildren were, by his example, led as close to the threshold of Christianity, close to the door of Christianity as possible. And, and made it as easy for us as possible to, to live in a way that is right. And, you know, a legacy cannot save us. Sometimes we put a lot of weight on a, on a legacy or a heritage or a, a pedigree, but it does not save us. But we are told in the Bible, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. That's in Luke twelve forty eight. And we have been given so much as, as a family and as acquaintances of him that, that of this man who, whose spirit has gone to his reward, 
We are responsible for the morals and values that we have been taught. We are responsible for that. And, and the torch has been passed on, so to speak. So, will we live our lives in a way that points people to the saving blood of Christ? Will we live our lives in a way that brings those that follow after us to the very threshold of Christianity? Are we living a life that, that points people in that way? You know, there's a, there's a proven, it's a known statistic that, that in three generations, it's a known statistic that 90% of the time in a family that has a lot of wealth, uh, material wealth, if, 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 if the, it's, it's a known fact that the grandfather earns it and buys and the, and the son builds and invests and the grandchildren, the grandchild squanders it. It's, it's almost unproven. There are many different countries have different slogans for that. They have uh, 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 American slogan would be uh, sh- uh, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. There is a cycle that is proven through the pages of time that that happens. Uh, but that, and that is something that carries over seemingly so easy. When we are given something that we do not know what it cost, we don't know what was invested and we ha- it hasn't been passed on or it hasn't been, we haven't let it impress on us what the value is that we have. We tend to squander it, do we not? It's a known fact. And we can break that. 90% of family fortunes are blown single-handedly by the third generation because they do not know how hard it was worked for and how easily it is lost. And And... Well, the good works and the heritage that were given to us as a family and, and acquaintances of when we were, that heritage, will we let it go to waste? See, Wilmer's life was not about reflecting the life of Christ. He did not reflect the light. He did not reflect, I, I said that wrong, his, his life was not reflecting the light of Christ. We're not called to, to reflect light. There are many people who use their godly heritage and values that were passed down to them as a reflection of light. We use our, we use our culture, our subculture, if you will, and, and we say we are reflecting the light of Christ. But my Bible, does not, my Bible does not say anything about reflecting light. The Bible says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. See, Dottie had light shining from within. He wasn't going bankrupt on some... some, He capitalized on his heritage, I'm sure, but yet he he based his Christianity, his faith, on the life of Christ and what Christ did for him personally. And the blood of Christ washed his sins away. And that light radiated from him. Imagine yourself if you were in a dark, in a very dark place, uh, maybe a dark, rainy night, and 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 you see what looks like a light, and, and it's refreshing. Light, light and darkness is refreshing to us, so you walk towards that, and when you get closer, you're disappointed because it's only a reflection. And sometimes I wonder if that's not how we tend to be. We want to put on, we want to reflect light, we want to reflect the light of Christ, we want people to see that we are associated, but yet when people get close to us, they see that we're not really the real thing. We're only reflecting what we have been handed down when we need to have it radiating from us. Ye are the light of the world. 
Ye are the light. We are not called to reflect. You would be disappointed, no doubt, if you found a light like that at a dark night. It's not the real thing. You may as well file bankruptcy uh, if, if, if your reflection, if you're, if you're living your life as a reflection of values and morals from 300 years ago, and that's all you base your, your, your value system on, that is not real light. You know, Grandpa knew Jesus. Not only godly traditions passed down, and we trust from the fruits of his life that, that the Holy Spirit was dwelling in him. There's little doubt in my mind. There's little doubt in my mind. And, and that produced a legacy that will, will benefit us all in the following gen, as the following generation. If we have a relationship with Christ, we can capitalize on that, and we dare not squander it. I'm a grandchild, and I look at those statistics. I don't have to be depressed about it because I know that I can follow after, and I can capitalize on the, on the heritage that I have and, and be a light for Christ with Christ's spirit living in me. We do not have to be a victim of statistics. But, you know, the morals he upheld in obedience to the Bible and, and the inspiration that he left and it will, will follow him long, long after the, the, the sound of soil hitting the wood box. That his, his life impacted us in many, many positive ways. The question that remains is what will, do, what will you do with what you have been given and are responsible for? What are you going to do with it? Because Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. Is that not a challenge? Will you have a legacy worth following when you die, or will your light only be a reflection that when people skirt around to the side, they see, they see lots of shadows, and they don't see a light radiating. They only see a, a weak reflection. The Spirit of God dwelling in us makes the difference between the two. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for, yes, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your divine will and to, as you have directed the life of Grandpa of Wilmer Stolzfus, we know that he was not a perfect man, but we know that he has left a very positive impact for his children and the generation following after. And we pray that we can also be lights in the world and that we can have your blood cleanse us from all sin and that we can live in righteousness before you through that. Just go with this service further. We pray this in your name. Amen. The third and last song is Each Step I Take. Oh, each step I take, my Savior goes before me, and with his loving hand he leads the way. And with each breath I whisper, I adore thee. Oh, what joy to walk with him each day, each step I take. Oh,
It was 29 years ago this month on a gray, rainy February morning, quite similar in fact to Friday morning of this week, that I received a phone call informing me that my dad, who had been struggling with health issues, had taken a turn for the worse. And it was only an hour or two later when I received another phone call from my oldest sister. And I still remember her exact words. Well, Daddy's gone now. This morning, for the Stoltzfus family, those words are very real. Daddy's gone now. Grandpa's gone now. Your husband is gone now. Those words are real, and they are painful words, and I feel your pain with you. But they are not words of despair. For many, those words would be words of gloom and despair and hopelessness. But we are not gathered here this morning with a message of despair. And it's my desire this morning to share with you a message that is filled with eagerness and anticipation and joy and the hope that lies before us. And I hope that as we leave this building this morning, we can all be filled with an anticipation, looking forward to what lies ahead. Yesterday, Lydia told me, rather emphatically, I'm not planning on staying here. And I like that. She is anticipating. And you know what? I'm not planning on staying here either. We really have a lot to look forward to. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll be looking at this passage this morning, suggested by the family. Four weeks ago, Dave shared from this passage on Sunday morning for devotions at Weavertown Church. And of course, four weeks ago, he had no way of knowing where he would be sitting on this morning and what all would transpire until this day. And I understand that the day after Wilmer returned from the hospital to his home, that Dave was reading this passage to him. And he started reading. It got to the end of verse 1. And Wilmer stopped him. He said, will you read that verse again? He wanted to hear this verse that was precious to him. I had the privilege of paging through Wilmer's Bible, his personal Bible, which he loved to read. I believe from the testimony of his family that he loved his Bible. And just this week, one evening when I stopped by his house for a few minutes, I asked him, would you like if I would read a few verses from the Bible? And with a big smile on his face, he replied, I would love that. And as I paged through his Bible, I noticed something. I noticed that there were not a lot of verses underlined in his Bible. There were a lot of words underlined, and there were a lot of phrases underlined, but very few verses in their entirety. And it's obvious that as he read, you know, this word or this phrase stood out to him and had special meaning. But there were not a lot of verses that were underlined in their entirety. 
But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, was one exception to that. The entire verse was underlined, as well as a number of phrases in the, in the following verses. So I believe as we look at this passage, we are looking at one of Wilmer's favorite passages. And not only that, but I believe as we look at this passage, we are looking at his personal testimony. And I believe we can consider this Wilmer's message to us this morning. Now the contrast, or the the emphasis of this passage, is a contrast. And it's a contrast between tents and houses. Many of us are familiar with the King James Version that uses the word tabernacles, which simply means tents. And it's saying on this earth we dwell in a tent, but we have a house to look forward to. The tent is a temporary shell in which we abide. But someday we're going to cast off these flimsy tents and we get to live in a real house. A house not made with hands, a house eternal in the heavens. Does that fill you with anticipation? Does that give you something to look forward to? Before we look further at this passage, I want to tell you two tent stories to help us to get a perspective of what it's like to live in a tent. Both of these stories are true. Scene one, I was camping with a group of young boys from the Christian Aid Ministries Orphanage in Romania. These boys at the time were probably about nine or ten years old, and we had been hiking high in the Carpathian Mountains. And during the day, we had scaled some pretty lofty peaks. And that evening, we were camping in the forest at the base of those peaks. We crawled into our tents, exhausted, ready for a good night of sleep. Sometime during the night, we awoke to the sound of thunder. And as we listened, it was obvious that this thunder was getting closer. The storm kept getting closer and closer until it was directly upon us. Blinding lightning was flashing all around us, and that thunder was crashing and reverberating through the mountains. It seemed to vibrate the very ground we were lying on. That thunderstorm was probably one of the most violent that most of those boys had ever witnessed, had ever experienced. Everyone was awake in their tents, wondering if we were going to be struck by lightning and simply hoping to survive the night, but not sure we would. Let's move on to scene two. When my wife and I had a young family, as I recall, our oldest child may have been two or three years old. Our second was less than a year old, and it had been a very warm day. And that evening, Martha and I decided to set up the tent in our backyard and sleep out in the tent with the children. We thought it would be a fun thing to do for the children, something they would enjoy. We set up the tent, and we got them nestled in, and soon we were sleeping. And again, we awoke in the middle of the night to a storm. This time, it was the wind that was severe. Those fiberglass poles in our dome tent were bending over in the wind and the side of the tent was almost on top of our faces as that tent was shaking in the wind. Now there are a number of differences between these two scenes, but there is one difference that was outstanding. And I wonder if you caught 
what it was. In scene one, we were in the middle of the mountains with nowhere to go, no place of refuge except for that flimsy tent that we were in. That was all we had, no other source of protection. In scene two, only 50 feet from our tent, there was a house, a house that we were confident that would withstand the storm that was blowing. And that fact made all the difference. Here we were sitting in this flimsy tent, tent, flapping in the wind with a solid house 50 feet away. And it struck us funny. And Martha and I sat there and we started laughing. And we laughed and laughed. We had nothing to fear. We had a place of refuge. We had a place to go. We decided that one of us would run to the house with one of the children, come back and get the other one, the other child, while the other of us would stay in the tent so it doesn't end up in the far end of the village. After we had the children in, we carried the tent into the garage, shut the door, and went into the house ourselves. And there we were, safely inside, secure and in comfort, in the house. Do you see the difference between a house and a tent? Do you see the difference between where we are living now and what we have to look forward to. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as I said, uses the word tabernacles, and I'm going to take the liberty to, to slightly paraphrase this passage as I read through it. I'll use the word tense and maybe change a few other words. And my desire is that you could picture where we are living now what we have to look forward to. For we know that if our earthly dwelling of this tent is dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, earnestly desiring to be covered with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being covered, we shall not be found exposed." For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened with the storms around us, we might say. Not for that we would be uncovered, but covered upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Verse 6, therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in this tent, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from this tent and to be present with our Lord. The image is clear. On this earth, we are given a tent in which to dwell. This body is temporary. It's not a permanent fixture. It will pass away. Now that leaves us with a question that needs an answer. This tent in which you are dwelling, this body that God has given you for these few short years on earth, where is your tent pitched? Is your tent pitched in the wilderness where you have nothing more to look forward to, no place of refuge, and where the destruction of that tent and the end of your physical life spells doom and devastation? 
Or is your tent pitched in the shadow of an everlasting home, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, where the light is shining, the doors are open, and Jesus is standing at the door waiting to welcome us home? Where is your tent pitched? And what do you have to anticipate me, to anticipate? Now, please do not misunderstand me to be saying that I think we should be laughing in the face of death. That's not the point. Death is real. And it brings sadness. And it brings tears. And that is nothing to be ashamed of. It's normal. But for those of us who have a house prepared, we have so much to anticipate. The elements of dread and despair are absent. Going back to this image of camping in a tent and drawing an analogy to our spiritual lives, picture a, a small family huddled in a tent out in the wilderness in the mountains during a storm. If one person were to leave that tent, the rest of the family would rightly be filled with despair and dread. You see, he is leaving the only security he has for the realm of the unknown, for the insecure, the unprotected, where he will be totally exposed to the fury of the storm. And if we are camping in the wilderness, when we leave this earthly tent, we are leaving the only security we know behind. We are stepping out into the fury of a storm unlike ever we have ever seen before. Those who are camping in such a situation have no desire to follow the person who leaves that tent because they fear where he is headed. And for an unbeliever, when our father, husband, grandpa, friend, neighbor dies, we have no desire whatsoever to follow him. Because when you're camping in the wilderness, the one who is leaving the tent is not making a transition he is stepping into a destination. And that is all he has to look forward to. He is stepping into loneliness. There's no one out there in the storm waiting to welcome him. Now, on the other hand, picture a few siblings in a tent in the backyard. And the storm comes in the middle of the night. In this case, stepping outside the tent is not a destination. It is simply a transition. You're simply moving from the tent to a house. And although the transition itself, the journey from the tent to the house, through the wind and rain, may not be pleasant, what you have to look forward at the end of that transition far outweighs the discomfort of the transition. For a Christian, death is not a destination. It's not stepping out of the tent into the unknown. But death is a transition, and that transition may not be pleasant, going through the experience of suffering and pain and the death experience. But the security and the comfort of our eternal home that awaits us makes this transition more than worth it. On Wednesday of this past week, when we visited Wilmer in his home, he talked about his heavenly home. In fact, it was some of the last words he shared before we left the house. You see, he was not talking about death. 
he was talking about his heavenly home. He was looking forward to that transition and moving forward to something that was beyond. He was not fearing it. He was looking forward to it. There's a quote I remember um, Norman Kaufman sharing. Death is not the end, nor is it the beginning of the end. It is simply the end of the beginning. Our life on here is simply the beginning, the transition is so much more. Now in this setting where the children are camping in the backyard in the tent, when one person leaves the tent and makes that dash for the house, those who remain in the tent can cheer him on. Cheer him on because you're preparing to follow. Run, I'll be coming right behind you. I will meet you in the house where we'll sit down and have a cup of hot chocolate together. You cheer on the person who is leaving the tent. Like I said earlier, Lydia told me yesterday, I'm not planning on staying here. I think she was one who was cheering Wilmer on and saying, go ahead and run and I'm going to be right behind you. When you get to the house before long, I'm going to be there too. That is the transition we have to look forward to. Furthermore, if you're in the tent in the backyard and your brother or your sister makes the dash for the house, you cheer him on because you know that there's someone waiting for him in the house. In fact, you can see him and you say, run, I see dad waiting for you at the door. And when you jump up onto the porch, he's going to open the door and welcome you inside. When Stephen was nearing the door, he looked up and he saw Jesus standing there waiting to welcome him inside. The writer of Hebrews says, run, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It does not need to be a lonely journey. Jesus is waiting to welcome us. So yes, from our perspective, daddy's gone now. But in reality, he's just a few steps ahead. He has made the transition. He has left his tent that was subject to the wind and the storms and the rain. He left for the house eternal in the heavens, not made with hands. He made a transition through the storm of death. And he's gone now. But we can look forward to following him. As I paged through Wilmer's Bible, I noticed something that he had written inside the cover of his Bible. The words of Jim Elliot, which said, A man is no fool to give what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Wilmer recognized that he was not able to keep that ten of his. And he really didn't care because he was looking forward to gaining a house that he was never going to lose. Hopefully that can fill you with anticipation. So is he gone? Not really. He's a few steps ahead. Wilmer also had several clippings in his Bible that he had cut out from somewhere, stepped in there. One of them was a clipping or a, a little poem written by Florence Kellogg. The title of it was My Hand in God's. And I'll share that with you as well. Each morning, when I, each morning when I wake, I say, I place my hand in God's today. 
I know here walk close by my side, my every wandering step to guide. He leads me with his tenderest care when paths are dark and I despair. No need for me to understand if I but hold fast to his hand. My hand in his, no surer way to walk in safety through each day. By his great bounty, I am fed, warmed by his love and comforted. When at day's end, I seek my rest and realize how much I've been blessed. My thanks pour out to God and then I place my hand in his again. A few days ago, Dave asked Wilmer, what would you like to be preached at your funeral? And for a few moments, there were silence. Wilmer was lying there with his eyes closed. His family looked at me and said, he's thinking. We waited. And after a few moments, he said one word. Jesus. He wanted us to preach Jesus. That was his desire. So this morning, if you're living in the wilderness, and if you're fearing the end of your earthly tent, the answer is Jesus. If you fear stepping out into the darkness and the storm, the answer is Jesus. If you dread the pain of separation and departure, or if you are feeling the pain of separation and departure, the answer is Jesus. Another clipping I found in his Bible about Jesus. Jesus began his ministry by being hungry, yet he is our living bread. Jesus ended his ministry by being thirsty, yet he is the living water. Jesus paid tribute, yet he is our king. Jesus wept, yet he promised to wipe away our tears. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and yet he paid the price of our redemption. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is our good shepherd. Jesus died, but by his death and resurrection, he destroyed the power of death. Hallelujah. What? A savior. I would like to switch scenes now a bit from a tent to a Hebrew wedding. Picture a young couple who have recently become betrothed one to another, and this bride and groom to be are spending some close moments together, and the groom-to-be is just about ready to leave, to return to his home village, where he is going to prepare a house for his bride. And when that house is prepared, he is going to come back and claim his bride, and they will have the wedding, and he will take her to the home that he has prepared. And as he is preparing to leave, this young man, this young woman, They recognize that they will not see each other again. 
until he comes back for her. She doesn't know how long that will be. And already she can hardly wait. And as they're sharing their final tender moments together before he leaves, she asks him some questions. When will you come back? How long will it be? What, just what will you be doing while you're gone? And this young man has some special words of encouragement and love for her. Would you like to hear what he says to her? You can, because you are the bride, and Jesus is the groom, and his words are for you. Just before he left, these are the words he said. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He doesn't live in a tent. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What an exciting message from our groom. He is the way. He is going to prepare a place for us. You know, Jesus had invested so much. I appreciated the devotional thoughts. The grandfather makes the investment. The succeeding generations, what do they do with it? Do they squander it? Jesus has invested his life in you. He's investing in a home for you. What are we going to do with that? Now, for the Stoltzfus family, I know that you have some questions. What will life be like without my husband? What will life be like without my dad? What will life be like without grandpa? These are real questions. What will need to change? What will it be like when we get together at Christmas? Why do I need to remain behind in my aging tent when he could go to his home? These are real questions. But the disciples also had questions. They asked him, where are you going? And Peter said, why can't I just follow you now? And probably some of you are asking the same thing. Why can't I just follow you now? But Jesus had the answer to those questions. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Through him, we have that hope. We don't don't only have hope. We have assurance. And I'm going to read several of these verses again from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I would like you to notice the words of assurance. It's not just some wish or some 
wild hope that we are clinging on to. The writer of this passage says, For we know that if or when our earthly tent is dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens that can never be destroyed. It's a blessed assurance. And in verse 8, we are confident. We are of good courage and willing to leave this tent that we can be present with the Lord. And that is the assurance that I leave with you this morning. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence here. And Lord, we know that you feel with us. When you were on earth, at a death, you wept. You feel our tears. And yet you promised to wipe away our tears to comfort us. We just thank you for that eternal and blessed assurance that we have of Jesus coming to return for his own. Lord, I pray that everyone that's here this morning would be able to live in the blessedness of that assurance and hope and that you would gather us all home in that eternal house to live with you forevermore. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point, uh, two, two sons of Wilmer, Malin and Aiden, are prepared to share uh, memories. And following that, the grandchildren will be uh, coming up and singing a song, and then we will read the obituary and uh, have the final viewing after that. So Malin and Aiden. Good morning. As I stand here today, I hardly know how to adequately express my thanksgiving to God for giving me such a caring and a gracious Father. I know very well that many don't have that privilege. Um, I never had an angry father, a missing father, or a spiritually dead father or anything less than the most attentive and kind and humble father that a man could wish for. I don't take this blessing lightly, and I don't feel like, and I feel like today I must um, take up the baton to carry for oncoming generations. I stand together with my family in their effort, I believe, and by God's grace, uh, we will continue on what our dad has taught us. Of all the things my father did for me, none, I don't think, is more important than his leading me to Christ. I so vividly remember the day and the spot in the barn where he told me that if God was calling me to follow him, I should respond accordingly. Those words struck me so deeply that in that very hour, 
I yielded my heart to the service of God. I know that I caused my father some grief through the years of my some questioning and backsliding. But he was always patient and persistent, like a good coach. Dad encouraged me and my siblings when we wanted to raise rabbits, dogs, guinea pigs, chickens, when we wanted to trap muskrats out of the creek, do woodworking, travel, or study, or volunteer in other places. When we chose marriage partners, he supported us and served as an example for us to follow. He and mom even managed to do three weddings in six months' time in 1980. I wish that I could say that I've honored and fulfilled his godly example, but to my regret, it hasn't always been so. But we must not give up. We must not shrink from the responsibilities we've been given. Even when my father's body lies here, cold and still in death, I can hear in my ear a voice that I think will follow me. This is the way. Walk in it. I've long felt that my identity is best understood by where I come from rather than what I've accomplished or where I've been. My dad's love of history and family heritage shows that also. So to my dear mother, siblings, in-laws, cousins, etc., I say thanks and consider it a great honor to be a part of this tribe. In the strength of what we have here, we can carry on the torch of faith as my father and others before him have so willingly done. God bless you all. My dad. Dad was born January 21st, 1933. He lived on the Stolstreet farm his entire life. His mother died when he was 18. He told me how his mother would teach him what was right and what was wrong. His dad died in 1981 at 86 years old. Dad had many good things, many sharing scriptures and other things together. I have no doubt in my mind, Dad was raised by godly parents. Dad got married in 1954 to his bride. She stayed by his side above and beyond what we can imagine. They celebrated 65 years together this last November. He worked very hard in the farm, the stories of adventure, unplanned mishaps are endless. One mishap was he had stitches in his hand that were to be removed before he went to the doctor to remove the stitches. Mom needed help with her washing machine. When he got up, he banged his head on the ringer and cut his head. So the, so the doctor stitched his head and removed the stitches in his hand. Dad had a favorite beloved son, Wilmer Jr., Wilmer Jr. was an enormous influence to the Storsky family in the short four years he lived. On March 25, 1970, almost 50 years ago, Wilmer Jr. was snatched away into God's heavenly home forever. 
Wilma Jr. sang a lot. Moments before his death, he sang, Each Step I Take, and a song that the Schwartz family sang at church. I felt like singing, praying, and preaching when I came out of the wilderness. He repeated that song over and over. His death, the trauma of the accident when Romo Jr. was killed, changed Dad's life forever. Dad mourned and suffered emotionally for years. He blamed himself and he suffered from unforgiveness to himself for years. But Dad never became bitter. Instead, Dad and Mom used that experience to encourage and lift others up that had similar experiences over the years. Family and friends poured in to support and encourage and pray for them. According to the guest register, it continued for seven plus months. Several years ago, Dad told me he thinks about Romo Jr. every day. That memory is just short of 50 years. Romo Jr. was after Elam, so that drew Elam and I close together. We had a small woodworking shop. Dad funded it. We barely made any profits. Rarely spent huge amounts of money, but the tools and the equipment big enough to build some things. It was truly a memorable time with Elam. Honing skills that we are both using today. It's a true example of a corncob college. Also, I was dad's first son. He used me in the fields, operating farm equipment as early as 10 years old. I can honestly say dad trusted me very well. We had numerous fix-up projects on the farm over the years that dad and I did together. Dad taught me, <clears throat> excuse me, dad taught me more than I could count. He taught me, you can't be late. You needed to get up, I needed to get up every morning before five to help milk the cows. I know of a time I got punished for being late multiple times. He taught me about the Lord, directed me on the path of righteousness. He also showed me and left an example of walking alongside his bride, loving each other until the end. After I got married, Dad and I didn't work alongside each other much at all. I started my trucking career shortly after. Dad rode with me different times over the years. The last time was in the summer of 17. He rode with me to Virginia Beach. That was an invitation by Ray Kaufman slash Shed Dealer. Thank you, Ray. Early that year, Dad started telling us about his stomach pains. The doctor said it's a virus. Something just didn't change. And I began to get concerned. I suggested he see a different doctor, such as a specialist. Monday, February 27th. Things took a quick turn from the ER to progressive care to the IC unit. 
and a high-risk surgery. The internal bleeding couldn't be fixed. After the hospital did everything they could do, he came home under hospice care. Just before he left the hospital, we told Dad he was dying. We thanked him. He, we thanked him for everything he did for us. He cried and he thanked us and told us how he was blessed. We also told him he would go to heaven. Immediately he said, oh, Wilma Jr. He mentioned his parents, a miscarried baby, and a few others. Dad was a tremendous blessing to all of us as a family. The extended family, As we stood beside his bed in the last days and we said our goodbyes, he told us by God's grace and the blood of Jesus Christ he's forgiven and ready to go. We can only imagine what a triumphant entry that was when Dad entered into heaven. Reunited with Roma Jr., their misguided baby, his mom and dad. We cannot fathom that thought. Nothing will separate them again. We all sing the old hymn when some glad morning, when this life is over, I will fly away. On Friday morning at 5.30, Dad flew away to his eternal home, heaven. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will your heart feel? Will I dance before you, Jesus? Or in awe, will you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees, will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes, when I find myself standing with the sun. I can only imagine when all I would do is forever worship you, the Lord Jesus Christ. I can only imagine.
At this time, I will read the obituary. Wilmer S. Stolstus, 87, of Leola, passed away from this life to his heavenly reward on February 7, 2020, at home after a brief illness. He was born on January 21, 1933, to Elam B. and Hannah Stolstus on the Leola farm where he and pre three previous generations lived, labored, and died. On November 18, 1954, he was married to Lydia Fisher, who survives, and together they had 10 children. With, with their children, they worked a family farm for 39 years. He was first ordained as minister at Melita Christian Fellowship in Leola in 1973, where he served for 22 years. He also served as a missionary pastor in Kasumu, Kenya, under Amish Mennonite aid for several years with his wife and youngest daughters, and as assistant pastor at Bethel Christian Fellowship in Morgantown. In his latter years, he was a faithful member of Weavertown Amish Mennonite Church in Burden Hand. He was known for his encouraging and peacemaking voice wherever he went, and for his confidence in sharing his faith and love for God. The Christian example he set will be keenly remembered by his family and friends. Besides his wife, Lydia, he is survived by his children, Hannah, wife of Joseph Miller of Melbourne, Kansas, Sarah, wife of Jerry Miller of Partridge, Kansas, Esther, wife of Daniel Byler of Hillsdale, PA, Malin Stolsus, husband of Esther of Leola, PA, Elam Stolsus, husband of Loretta of Kelowna, Iowa. Aidan Stolsfus, husband of Heidi of Burgettstown, PA. David Stolsfus, husband of Regina of Gordonville, PA. Elmina, wife of Ernest Byler of Lancaster, PA. Frida, wife of Aaron Hostetler of Mount Vernon, Ohio. 52 grandchildren and 38 great-grandchildren. He was preceded in death by his parents, brothers Levi and Mose, and sister Rachel, and son Wilmer Jr., all of whom he deeply loved and missed. Interment will be at Weavertown Amish Mennonite Church Cemetery immediately following the funeral. <clears throat> at this time, uh, we're going to turn the time over to Mark, who will uh, direct us through the final viewing. I have just a few instructions for you before we begin. After you view, uh, you will be dismissed, and you may head over to Weavertown Church, where you can uh, have a lunch that is prepared for you. There will be live streaming of the graveside service available in the church sanctuary. So after you eat, you can head upstairs and uh, sit in the benches there, and they will um, live stream this graveside service for those who do not wish to be outside. So again, after you leave here, head to Weavertown Church, and you may go ahead and eat lunch, and then head upstairs if you wish to take in the live stream of the graveside service. Of course, anyone is welcome to join us um, at the graveside as well. Everyone is invited for lunch there at Weavertown Church. 
either before or after the graveside service. I think I'll turn the time over to Mark. Mark.